This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Welcome, witches. This is episode 16 of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Brina Garen, and my darlings, it has been one whole year since the podcast started. That's right, it's our first anniversary, and I have some extra special goodies to share with you this month. But first, I want to say a great big thank you to a bunch of folks. Thank you to all the lovely people on the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network, first of all, for hosting the show right off the bat, site practically unseen, and for helping me get my platform properly started. Thank you to all my friends out there in the podcasting community who offered advice and encouragement and some good old-fashioned, hey, when are you starting your podcast? Hard nudges are appreciated. Thank you to all my guest hosts and sponsors for lending your time and your support within the community. It really does mean the world. And of course, thank you to you. Yes, you. You and all the other lovely, lovely people who tune in each month, who show up on my social media, who join the Nerd and Tie Discord for a chat, who support the show on Patreon, who leave positive reviews, or just take the time to recommend the show. It's thanks to you that I've been able to keep it going this long and that I'm motivated to keep going forward. On a personal note, this is actually the first regular episode I've recorded since I was diagnosed with COVID back in early February, if you didn't hear. Needless to say, things have been difficult. COVID is no joke, you guys. I have never felt worse in my entire life. Uh, I'd go so far as to say it was terrifying. I did manage to stay out of the hospital, thanks to the amazing care of my husband, who is a goddamn superhero as far as I'm concerned. We pretty much spent the entire month looking after each other. I was sick, then he got sick, and by early March, we were both recovering. I still have some lingering physical problems, but thankfully it is nothing permanent, and with regular physical therapy, I'm getting better every week. The schedule for the show is still a little off because of some changes I had to make because I wasn't able to work on new material, so things got moved around a bit. But I'm back in fighting shape now, and I'm back to work, and things should proceed as normal from here on in, so I thank you very much for your patience. And when I say keep wearing your mask and get your vaccine, yeah, I mean it. Uh... 
real talk for just a second. I'm not going to lie. It was tough getting back into this headspace after almost two months away. But now that I've managed it, now that I've gotten this done and recorded, I feel a lot better. I have a really bad history of picking up projects and then not finishing them. Thank you, ADHD. And I really did not want that to happen with this show. I've wanted to make a podcast for years now and not being able to make my brain function to the point where I could get back to work was incredibly frustrating. Like not just a deep cleansing breath kind of frustrating, more like a scream and on the table leg kind of frustrating. But thankfully, I've pushed through it. I found some cheat codes. I'm back on my game and hopefully... I will be able to continue as before. So here's to the first year in the books and hopefully lots more to come. Thank you all for coming with me on this ride. It has been insane and there's lots more to come. I have lots of ideas and lots of plans and here's hoping that the universe grants me the time and spoons to make them all happen. Anyway, since it's the anniversary special, I wanted to do something a little, well, special. Some of you may have seen the requests on my social media for listener questions. I did get quite a few emails, most of which I will be sharing with you today. Uh, some of them were very thought-provoking. You know me, I never pass up the chance for a good ramble, and these produce some quality rambles. Plus, I've gotten some new ideas for future episodes, which is always a good thing. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to get to all of the questions that were sent in. Y'all were very, very generous with those emails. So if you sent one and it's not included, I do apologize. But please know that I will be stockpiling all of the unused questions for future bonus material or using them as jumping off points for future episodes. So again, if you don't hear your question today, just know I have plans for it. So... Let's just dive right in. Our first question is from Darcy. Hi, Bree. I've recently started listening to your podcast, and I'm really enjoying it. I haven't listened to all the episodes yet, though, so sorry if this is something you've already addressed. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. I'm very much a beginner witch, and I've been wondering. Your podcast so far has given a fair amount of advice on the practical day-to-day -day witching tips, but I'm frequently left wondering why. Why different herbs or crystals or powders? Why chants or runes? You've occasionally talked about things like energy on your show, and I'd really like to hear more of an in-depth discussion about some of the broader concepts that underpin most witchcraft. Perhaps some resources or recommendations. Thanks very much, Darcy. Darcy, this is a great question to start out on, and I feel like it's one that a lot of witches consider at some point, beginner or not. That was actually the bulk of the emails that I received is, wow, this is a really good question. I think a lot of us think of it, it's just not a lot of us articulate it. Correspondences are often based on traditional uses of substances, and the origins of those ideas can be kind of obscure. I mean, we repeat these associations over and over again, and it just becomes 
gospel over time. But there's not a lot of discussion on where they come from or why we use particular things in particular circumstances. So you're absolutely right. Because witchcraft is so broad, there's a lot of variations in the concepts that underpin the ideas of magic. Plus, people add in their own associations and uses and traditions, especially in information that's shared over social media. So everything can get very confused and uh, very intricate very, very quickly. <laughs> I really like, forgive me, the Llewellyn Complete Book of Correspondences for cross-referencing and general correspondence information, even if they don't cover everything I typically use. It's organized very well, and it's easy to follow, and sometimes that's all you need. Naturally, everything in it needs to be taken with a grain of salt, and we should always be on the lookout for appropriation, but it helps to see some of the correlations, or at least one tradition's version of them. I also have a more comprehensive list that I use for my personal practices, and the plants portion of that actually appears in several of my books. If you've seen those correspondence tables in the back of Grove Daughter Witchery or the Sisters Grimoire, that's what that is. Most of it's from my research, and a little bit is from my own experience over the years. And that's what I mean by personal correspondences here. Some witches will have their own set of associations or reasons for using certain things, or ways they found of using certain plants or crystals or what have you that don't necessarily appear in more generalized lists. If you happen to come across something in the course of your journey that gives you an idea like this, I definitely recommend adding it to your notes. Personal correspondences may not necessarily supersede traditional ones, but they're still worth noting, especially if you find something a little out of the ordinary that still works for you. As for things like powders or chants or runes, so much of spell work depends on the individual witch. A particular method or process that works really well for someone else might not work for you, and vice versa. For instance, your witchy bestie might be, let's say, really good at reading runes, whereas you can only really get a good reading from your favorite oracle deck. Both things are equally valid, you're just using different methods. I could go on, but there's literally enough material on this to fill several books, plus it's the subject of some debate within the community. What it boils down to is that certain traditions have sort of a preferred way of doing things, and they instruct their practitioners accordingly, and then those ideas and traditions get passed along. Different paths will have different ideas on what should be included in certain types of spells or rituals and how you should perform them. And of course, different sources will recommend a variety of ways of doing the thing. And of course, personal experience and preferred methodology play a role as well. In the end, what it comes down to is whatever works best for you. This is one of those ask 10 witches, get 10 answers sort of things. Different witches will recommend different ways of casting certain spells or 
preferred materials that they like to use. And because we don't often say in, in conversations or in our sources or recommendations to others, yes, this is how I prefer to do it. We just say, this is an herb you can use for a luck spell. This is how you can cast a love spell. It's not, this is my preferred methodology. It is, this is how it is done. Yeah, I think this one's going to have to be an episode someday. Our next question is a two-parter from Jennifer. Hello, Bree. I have two questions, one concerning casting circles and one for plant magic. Question one, how would I go about casting a circle while closeted? Would visualizing a circle while doing what I'm doing serve well enough? Question two. Currently, I live with my grandmother, and she likes to garden, and she has a few plants in the house. I'd like to do some subtle plant magic with them. The plants are golden pothos and an elephant bush. I'm just wondering if you have any small, subtle witchy tips for those two kinds of plants. Also, thank you for everything you do, such as your Tumblr blog and running this podcast. They've really helped a lot in my journey as a witch. Jennifer. Aw, thank you, Jennifer. I'm really, really glad to hear that they're helping. And I love a good stealth witch question. Let's start with the one about circles. Magical circles are meant to denote sacred or protected space during ritual work or spellcasting. Some witches use them, some don't. And while it's nice to think of a figure set out in stones or candles or what have you, the truth is that most witches don't have the time or the space for such things. There are plenty of ways to make a non-permanent or non-physical circle. Now, if you read most Wiccan source books, there's probably going to be some mention of walking or treading a circle to create a sacred space. The idea of measuring out sacred space or creating magical figures by treading a path over and over exists across several traditions and cultures, so this is something you can definitely adapt for your own use, whether you subscribe to Wiccan ideas or not. It is important to remember that not everything that is used in Wicca is exclusive to Wicca. Wicca has a lot of stuff in it that also shows up in other places, so just something to keep in mind. You can also cast a circle by holding out a talisman or an open palm or a pointed finger and turning around in place a few times, just don't get dizzy, or by sitting or standing in place and just visualizing a circle or a sphere or a cylinder, whatever works best for you. If you do feel like you want some physical representation of a circle, but you need something that's temporary and easy to clean up, I suggest getting some yarn or perhaps some kitchen twine and making a loop big enough for you to work in, whether it's a small one that you just need to stand up in or something that's big enough for you to sit in and also have your tools and accoutrements with you. You can lay that down on the floor of your room or in a secluded outdoor spot and then just take it back up again once you're finished. This is also great for travel kits if you prefer a physical representation of a circle to a purely visualized one. As for the plants, it's a little difficult to use them in magic if you're not in a situation where you can make charms 
with the trimmings or something similar. Golden pothos and elephant bush aren't exactly on my short list of magical plants, so this required some research, which was very fun, and that turned up some interesting ideas. Golden pothos is also called money plant, and it's pretty much impossible to kill off, even if it gets next to no natural light and very little water. It's a very hardy little plant. So you could potentially incorporate the plant into any money spells or longevity spells that you wanted to do. Elephant plant is used in natural medicine, and it has hydrating, antiseptic, and anti-inflammatory properties when prepared properly. I wouldn't suggest using it medicinally, but you certainly could use it for healing spells or for restoration spells if you wanted to. You can also use the living plants as components as they are and just attach spells to them. Any suitably healthy household plant can be used for growth or stability spells, and you can also use them as anchors for protection spells. It's generally more effective to attach long-term household wards directly to the home or property, but you can attach smaller ones to indoor plants. Since plants help to clean and oxygenate the air, they can also be anchors for cleansing spells. So yeah, hope this helps. You can always message me on Tumblr if you have specific questions. You know where to find me. Good luck with that stealth witching. Our next question is from my good buddy Jenna. Ooh, blast from the past. Hello, Nen. Hi, Bree. I'm a witch who's been a bit out of touch with practicing. I just haven't felt the spark recently, except for Samhain. Do you have any advice for getting in touch with your inner witch, especially during a barrier like COVID? Best regards, a fox wearing a tattered witch hat. That's my girl. If I had a dime for every time I felt this way, I would probably be able to retire. And I think a lot of us are in this headspace with the stress of the global pestilence and all the upheaval that's been happening over the past few years. Even without all these extra problems, people can struggle with the occasional slump in their practice. If the frequency of this type of question in my inbox is anything to go by, yeah, Pook, you're, you're in good company here. There are three basic things that I like to do when I hit a slump that always seem to turn things around again. The first, I know you're going to love, playing in the dirt. Whether it's tending the little potted garden in my window, or going for a walk in the woods to collect some new cuttings, or just getting something from the grocery store that I know I can strip for materials, something about doing a bit of plant work really recharges my batteries. It's currently spring, and there's plenty of gardening to be done, so maybe try a bit of pruning, a little bit of weeding, harvest those trimmings, dry them for later like we used to, and see how you feel. The second thing is trying something new. Sometimes when I'm in a slump, it's because I'm in a rut, because I've been doing the same thing over and over for too long and I'm just bored. So it helps to shake things up a little. Whether it's a new skill or a technique or a new project or maybe a new book, something out of the ordinary. It might provide that little spark that reignites things. And the third is sort of going in the opposite direction. 
I go back to the things that first inspired me, whether it's books or movies or music or podcasts, pretty much anything. I have a little stockpile of my favorites that I keep for just such an occasion. Some of them may seem a little silly from, you know, a more experienced perspective, but they're still meaningful, and as long as they conjure up those same feelings, they still have power. All the things that first gave me that little rush, like wind in your face after rain in summertime, that sort of tingle in your blood like anything could happen, all the things that showed me how much magic is in the world and how beautiful it all can be, whether you're holding it in the palm of your hand or standing in the eye of a storm, whether you have mountains in your bones or the sea in your veins or the wind in your voice or fire in your heart, all the things that remind me of how wild and wonderful and full of possibilities life can be, how everyone and everything is connected and of how the thread of my own power shines in that grand web along with all the others. I waxed poetic for a second there. Not even a little bit sorry. So yes, uh, knowing you, Jen, I'd order some Chinese takeout, pop in that Practical Magic DVD, and make some spell candles. That always seemed to perk you up back in the day. Oh, and read Pratchett's We Free Men. Good old Sir Terry, bless him, he knew us better than anyone. We'll be back with more Hex Positive after this brief sponsored break. This episode is brought to you in part by Crowsbone. Crowsbone is a family-owned business with 20 years of experience in the study and practice of magic. Their selection combines carefully curated wholesale goods, unique secondhand finds, and handcrafted items from their home base. Peruse their excellent selection of books, home decor, spell components, and so much more. Make sure you check out their seasonal subscription packages and mystery boxes, as well as their range of personalized services and readings. While you're there, check out their Working Community Survey, featuring a variety of voices from the witchcraft community and their library of free printables. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at The Crowsbone or on Tumblr at Crowsbone for regular updates and sales. And now is the perfect time to do it because the good people at Crowsbone are offering my listeners a 15% discount on their products and services. Just use the code HEXPOSITIVE at checkout. This offer excludes subscriptions. Refresh your witchcraft supplies and help support small business while you're at it. Visit crowsbone.com and remember to use code HEXPOSITIVE at checkout for 15% off your order. Crowsbone, to thine own self be true. This episode is brought to you in part by Portland Buttonworks. Do you like buttons? Of course you do. Have you ever had a great idea for one but just been like, darn it, if only I had the resources and equipment? Well, fret no more. Portland Buttonworks is just what you need. Portland Buttonworks creates custom pinback buttons in four different sizes, plus magnets, hand mirrors, and bottle openers. Download their templates and create your own designs, or use their design for quick formatting. You can order just a few custom items, or order in bulk for merch or big events. 
I've been getting buttons from Portland Button Works for years, and their quality is always top of the line. And this month, in honor of their ninth birthday, they're offering a special discount to my listeners. Just enter the promo code HEX at checkout for 9% off your order. And once you're done making your buttons, make sure you visit the PBW Witch Shop for a thoughtfully curated selection of witchcraft, magic, and occult-related zines. They've got books, buttons, tarot cards, and so much more. The collection has a refreshing emphasis on magic that relates to traditional and folkloric witchcraft, chaos magic, secular witchcraft, magical plants and herbs, queer witchcraft, witchcraft activism, and more. There's a good chance that they have exactly what you're looking for. Visit the main Buttonworks at portlandbuttonworks.com and check out the Witch Shop and Zine Distro at pbwwitchshop.com. Remember to enter promo code HEX at checkout for 9% off your order. Help support small business and get your buttons from Portland Buttonworks. Fighting fascism one button at a time since 2012. Since we're all heartily fed up with Amazon right about now, I've decided to open a small online witch shop on my WordPress. You can pick up copies of Grove Daughter Witchery, The Sisters Grimoire, and Pestlework, or shop for witchy goodies like banishing powder, witch web kits, and witchy buttons. You might even get a special surprise or two with your order. Go to brainagarin.wordpress.com shop to place your order today. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And now, back to the show. Our next question comes from Emma. Hi, I have something of a silly question. Oh, I love a good silly question. But it's something that comes up whenever I go to cast a spell. Do you ever feel silly saying the words to a spell incantation out loud? Or did you at one point? And if so, how'd you evolve from feeling silly or embarrassed to where you are now? Thanks for being a wonderful witch. I just ordered your books, and I'm so excited for everything to come. Emma. Well, first of all, thank you for ordering the books. You awesome, awesome person, you. Seriously, royalties mean my lights stay on and the groceries get bought. So thank you, Emma, for putting bread on my table. As for feeling silly about saying incantations out loud, oh my goodness, yes! <laughs> It feels weird to do it when you're starting because it's something you're not used to. And it feels weird later on because it tweaks the same nerve as public speaking. I still have trouble saying incantations if there's someone within earshot, partly because I feel awkward and partly because they're unwanted distractions. Is this one of the reasons I've never joined or started a coven? You bet your granny boots it is. So I guess the answer is I've never really grown out of it. But along the way, I've figured out that if I'm alone and I have a script to work from, it's much easier. 
And then once I get into things, it doesn't feel so silly. Starting is uncomfortable, but continuing is easier. And sometimes creating my own incantation is easier than following someone else's words. If it's mine, it feels a little more natural, where something someone else wrote might seem very formal or stilted and therefore be less comfortable to say aloud. I also like my spells to rhyme, but that's not strictly required. So if it's easier for you to speak in prose, maybe try that instead. This is also a good time to talk about nonverbal incantations. Plenty of us can't speak our spells out loud for one reason or another, so there are alternatives. You can focus on the words and repeat them in your mind, or visualize what you want to happen instead of trying to speak it into existence. There's also something to be said for singing your spells, if that's easier than speaking and you happen to have a song that's appropriate for the occasion. And yes, I did just suggest turning rocking out into the car into witchy time. Why not? So if you're having difficulty, you can try making your own incantation, and remember it doesn't have to rhyme, or saying the words inside your own head, or using visualization or a song instead. And maybe try it without an audience if you can. Our next question is from Willow Winterroot. I keep hearing that a great place to start in witchcraft is with a simple protection spell. Why is that? This is another good question, and one that I think a lot of witches have, but very few think to actually ask. We do just take the protection first idea for granted in some ways and go from there. That's not a bad thing, really, and I do agree that witches who are just starting out should learn protection magic first. That being said, it's always good to know why you're doing a thing. This is another case where different witches from different traditions will give you different reasons. What it boils down to is this. When you first begin any new hobby or activity, the most important thing to learn is how to do it safely. And with magic or witchcraft, that means learning a protection spell or some kind of basic warding. And as Trey Dorn from BS Free Witchcraft is fond of pointing out, if you mess up on a protection spell, there's very little chance of anything happening, since the spells are preventatives and they either work or they don't. And if you put those protections in place when you start out, it lessens the possibility of other problems later on. So yeah, it's about keeping yourself safe, setting down good practices for later, and preventing problems before they start. Our next question comes from Melissa. Hi Brie, I saw your post about cleansing tarot decks and it got me thinking. Everyone talks about how to do cleansings, but not how often to do it or what needs to be cleansed. So what do you think? How often should I be cleansing in my magic and what should I be cleansing when I do? Thanks, Melissa. Good question, Melissa. Wow, everyone is bringing their A-game for this. And you're right, there's a lot of discussion about the necessity of cleansing and how to do it, but not the finer points of what and when. So, just about everything can be cleansed, but not everything needs to be cleansed. 
there's really kind of an obsession in some parts of the community with cleanse this, cleanse that, cleanse literally everything all the time, or it'll invite negative energy or allow bad things to linger in your space. And to that I say, what on earth are you people dealing with that negative stuff is constantly building to critical levels in your space? Or is this some kind of metaphysical germophobia that I just haven't heard about yet? Yes, it's important to know how to cleanse and to do it regularly, but not every single new thing that comes into your home needs cleansing. Likewise, not every single tool or component you have needs to be cleansed before it's safe to use. Sure, it may help, just as a preventative, and if it makes you feel better, certainly do it. But after a while, it's like constantly washing your hands. It won't hurt anything, but unless you're getting them dirty every other minute, it's not really necessary. I'd say keep your altar space and any ritual tools that you use cleansed on a regular basis, that's for sure. And you can certainly cleanse things before you use them, like wands or divination tools or scrying devices. And if you're going to reuse something that's been used in a spell before, like a jar or a candle, you may want to cleanse it just to give yourself a blank slate to work with. And of course, you'll want to cleanse yourself and your home at least as often as you cast or reinforce your protections. This doesn't have to be a big to-do either. It can be something as simple as showering with intent or cleansing while you clean. If you can find a way to roll a magical purpose into a mundane task, do it. You will save yourself so much time and energy. So now let's talk about timing. This is yet another thing that's going to vary from person to person. This isn't even like between traditions. This is literally every witch does it just a little bit different. So you'll have to find the schedule and process that suit you best. When you first start out, I'd recommend doing some sort of cleansing at least monthly, whether it's yourself or your home or your working space or what have you. From there, you can start to feel out when things feel sludgy or heavy or blocked, and you can adjust your schedule accordingly. Like I said, you should cleanse at least as often as you protect. And of course, you can always cleanse when you feel the need. You don't need to wait for a special occasion. Just don't feel like you have to do it constantly. Our next question is from Storm. Hi Bree, I'm glad you're feeling better. My question is, what are your thoughts on the role of the witch in modern society? Thanks, Storm. Me too, Storm. I don't like being sick at the best of times, and it's real nice to be able to get back to my projects. This is another good question, and it does dip into the philosophy of the modern witchcraft movement quite a bit. Despite how often I use that term, the movement is definitely not a monolith, and neither are the witchcraft or pagan communities. And everyone has a little bit of a different opinion on what witches are meant to be or to do in the modern world. Me, personally, I think witches are here to remind everyone that there are other ways of thinking and other ways of living. 
For some of us, that might mean a different religion or a different diet or a different way of looking at social and environmental responsibility. But chiefly, I think that, especially in the Western world, there's been this focus for a very long time on just a few ways of viewing belief and faith and spiritual priorities. The presence of witches, not as a threat or an adversarial force as they might have been previously, but as friends and neighbors who just want to exist and live like anyone else, really forces some people and society at large to re-examine those views. Like, oh my gosh, witches aren't actually evil beings who eat babies or try to destroy the world. They're just regular people with different ideas and gardens? Huh. Just to be America-centric for a moment, those of us who grew up in the 1980s and 1990s spent most of our lives smack in the middle of the satanic panic. We would hear that literally anything outside of a very narrow set of beliefs and philosophies approved by conservative Christian leaders was either heresy or devil worship. And getting involved with such things was pretty much guaranteed to ruin your life. And this included stuff like wearing dark clothing, being curious about other religions, reading fantasy novels, watching certain Saturday morning cartoons, not being active enough in your church, not conforming to approved gender roles, believing in evolution, being friends with so-called undesirables, and depending on where you live, this could be entirely social or any flavor of racist, classist, homophobic, or xenophobic you can imagine. And of course, there were the old standbys. Rock music, drugs, alcohol, premarital sex, dancing, socialism, atheism, progressive political ideas, and so on. I could continue, but suffice it to say that the idea of witches living right out in the open and society just being okay with that would have been complete anathema. And I'm sure that several people who knew me growing up would be absolutely spinning in their graves to know how I've turned out. A fact that brings me no small amount of personal satisfaction. So to see witches and witchcraft gaining in popularity and acceptance in modern times says to me that other groups that were once seen as strange or ungodly or downright evil are also gaining acceptance. And of course, I'm seeing this alongside very important social change with the current wave of the civil rights movement, with these calls for justice and reform and equality across many marginalized groups. And it tells me that things are, by and large, getting more progressive, even in the face of a whole lot of ass-backwards conservative pearl-clutching. The other point I want to make is that the modern witch represents a dissatisfaction with the status quo, with the way things have always been done. We're so used to the handful of ideas and philosophies I mentioned earlier, and plenty of people are frustrated with the limitations of the belief systems they've grown up in, but they just don't feel like they have any other options. And then along comes witchcraft. 
hey, wait a minute. You mean there's a belief system where I don't have to be ashamed of myself for existing, or questioning, or thinking outside the box? With an aspect of personal empowerment to boot, count me the fuck in. And I think that's why so many people have been turning to paganism and witchcraft in the past couple of decades. Mainstream belief systems haven't progressed with the times as quickly as they need to in order to retain their congregations. So naturally, people are looking elsewhere for the answers and acceptance that they seek. And since there's less stigma attached to other lifestyles than there used to be, again, depending on where you live, people are embracing these alternatives. I couldn't find the answers I needed inside a church, but for a long time, I thought that was my only option. But then I found this other path, and embracing that completely changed my life, I think, for the better. So that's where I think it is for modern witches. We exist to remind people that they have options. And moreover, that it's okay to embrace change and personal empowerment and unconventional beliefs and practices, and that they don't have to limit themselves to the belief systems that they were raised in. And of course, as social others ourselves, we should also be accepting of and sticking up for other marginalized groups and lending our support to their causes. But that should go without saying. Our next question is from Paige. I actually wound up using a lot of this information in a Tumblr post since someone there asked me a similar question around the same time, but it is a good question and one that I get frequently, so I definitely wanted to include it here. Hi, Bree. First off, I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you. It's informative, inclusive, and just all around lovely. Second, I'm trying to update my library with proper resources on herbs for potions, rituals, and just in general walking the reader through what the different herbs are used for and not meant for. I'm a bit overwhelmed by the options out there. I know you mentioned a book or two on the podcast that you trusted, and I was hoping you wouldn't mind pointing me in the direction of a few others. Thanks so much for your time, Paige. Well, of course. I mean, I, I have this gigantic reference library for just such an occasion. So, get your pencils ready. Here are my usual recommendations for plant witchcraft books. But first, a word from Penny. Penny? Hello. She's a good kitty. Okay, so we'll start with green witchcraft. Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, Dugan's Garden Witchery and the accompanying Garden Witches Herbal, Hopman's The Sacred Herbs of Samhain, Kate West's The Real Witch's Garden, Franklin's The Hearth Witch's Compendium and The Hearth Witch's Kitchen, and The Green Witch Herbal by Barbara Griggs. For practical herbology, I recommend The Complete Guide to Herbal Medicines by Fetro and Avila, Rodale's Illustrated Encyclopedia of Herbs, Western Medicinal Plants and Herbs from Peterson Field Guides, and also their book on edible wild plants, Chevalier's Herbal Remedies, The New American Herbal by Orr, and The Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook by Green. For the history of plant magic and medicine, if you want to include a little more context, I recommend Witchcraft Medicine, Healing Arts, Shamanic Practices, and Forbidden Plants, 
by Rush, Müller-Ebeling, and Storl. The Untold History of Healing, Plant Lore, and Medicinal Magic from the Stone Age to the Present, again by Storl. And Culpepper's Complete Herbal and English Physician. This one's a classic. It sounds like a lot, I know. Don't worry, I'll be linking a blog post in the notes so you can get the full list in print. Options are good to have, and it's also important to have practical sources on your shelves in addition to your magical books. If you're looking for books on working with plant spirits, I suggest looking into sources on druidry. I'm just getting into that myself, actually. Dana O'Driscoll's WordPress blog, druidgarden.wordpress.com, is a wealth of information on the topic, and, and I'll be linking that in the show notes as well. Remember as you're building your library that it's okay to keep what serves you and pass on the books that you don't find helpful or appealing. I've been revising my own collection for years now, and it's gone through significant changes during that time. I'm planning to talk about how to build your witchy library in a future episode, probably next year if the schedule stays constant. We talk a lot in the witchcraft community about which books or authors we like or find useful, but there's not a lot of discussion on curation or assembling your craft reference library, so that is definitely on the horizon. Our final question is from Lucy. Hi, Bree. I love your podcast. I hope this is a good question. It was. I would love to hear your opinion on how magic works. That is, once we assemble spell ingredients with our desired correspondences, what's going on metaphysically? Would love to hear your thoughts. Cheers, Lucy. Ooh, a magical mechanics question. I haven't had one of these in a while. Cue the gleeful knuckle cracking. So, the actual idea of how magic works and what happens after we cast spells really does vary greatly between traditions and practitioners. Some focus on energy, others on divine intervention, others on the application of personal power or quantum physics or any number of things. There are a lot of schools of thought on this subject, and I just want to make that clear before I give you my take on it. This is another one of those ask 10 witches, get 10 answers type of thing. The way I see it when I do magic, or at least the way it feels, since I don't physically see this happening, magic sort of feels like either a massive spider web or like a gigantic system of interconnected tree roots. And when I work a spell, it's like tugging on those threads or roots, pulling them back, and then letting them snap back into place to send whatever it is I'm doing to where it needs to go. Some spells require a harder pull than others. Some I can just kind of place the spell into, and off it goes. And the type of spell also affects like where in the web or the root system I'm reaching for, if that makes sense. I don't really have a full visual or anything. It's just how it feels in the moment. And yes, sometimes there's a different feel to things, like a different temperature or texture or color, if that makes sense too. 
for instance, if I'm doing a warding around my home, it's not really a hard pull. It's more like rearranging things and shoring them up. But if I'm doing a protection spell for someone else, I have to find the threads that connect to them and their whole situation and use those to send the spell. And putting the spell together always feels a bit like weaving for me. Sometimes it's very deliberate and I have a pattern in mind, usually when I've pre-written the spell myself. And sometimes it's a little more haphazard, like when I have a jar in front of me and I'm just throwing in whatever feels right in the moment. But in the end, there's a little ball of energy and intention that's ready to go. If you've ever seen one of those photos of the tangled web pattern that I use for my witch webs, that's a bit what it feels like. Some weavings are denser, some are sparse, some are orderly, and some are very chaotic. It depends on what's needed at the time. Hopefully this makes some kind of sense. I've heard other witches describe magic as feeling web-like in the past, so I'm guessing this will sound familiar to at least a few people. I've never formally studied magic under any particular tradition, so all of my impressions are shaped by my own experience. Uh, thank you for this question, actually. It was, it was very fun to try and quantify my visualizations. I haven't done that in a while. So that does it for this month's episode and for the first year of Hex Positive. This little show has come a long way since it started, and I'm really glad to see all the interest it's been generating lately. There's lots more to come. I've got so many ideas that I can't wait to share with all of you. And hey, if you have questions, keep sending them in. Sure, I've got a brainstorm pile, but it really helps my processes to know what's on the minds of my listeners. If I can make an episode on a timely subject, that's something I'd like to do. Thanks very much to everyone who sent in questions for this episode, and just remember, if I didn't answer your question today, it means I've squirreled it away for another project later. Remember to subscribe wherever you're listening, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, visit my shop and social media, check out my Patreon if you want to support the show, and show some love to our sibling show BS Free Witchcraft and all the other fantastic shows on the Nerd and Tie podcast network. They are more than witchcraft over there, you know. If you're enjoying my take on modern witchcraft, you can find my written works on Amazon or in my WordPress shop. I will include the links in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Brina Garin, reminding you to stay safe, get vaccinated, keep wearing your mask, and take on the day like the fabulous, magnificent, unconquerable being you are. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at at Brina Garin on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hex.